0: Welcome back here to Courtside. I just finished watching the replay for Lakers-Denver in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. And man, that was an exciting game. I mean, besides, of course, like the momentum switch, right? Where like Denver is kind of leading the entire way. That was such an intense game at the end. So I'm going to break down that first game of the Western Conference Finals. And as well, the Spurs won the lottery. So we're going to look at kind of the draft lottery, how that kind of turned out last night. And a little breakdown for today's game, Eastern Conference Finals, Miami versus the Boston Celtics. So a lot of breakdowns, draft talk, and more on this episode of Courtside. The Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation, and Captain Barba, who make content on YouTube weekly for those who are huge Dark Souls fans, Elden Ring fans, basically anything that has a real story to it and you're looking for something i mean for me personally when i'm on my lunch break it's about an hour so i want some good content in that hour to really entertain my day before going back to my boring day of work captain Marvel's got you he's got recent videos knocking back to back to back he has this recent one i think it's called two idiots take on elden ring it's phenomenal him and this other guy udell funny 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 stuff And, of course, for high implementation, if you're a Sonic fan, they're bringing out all the Sonic games in their series. So make sure you look out for both of those channels. And, of course, subscribe to the podcast. I think I'm just going to dive in to start this podcast straight into Denver Lakers. Because, like, I was out last night. I'm not going to lie to you. I was out with a couple of people uh, shooting hoop. And then we ended up pulling up the last three minutes of that Denver game. And I'm just like, were the Nuggets up by 18 before I left my house? in the first quarter so i definitely went back home and yes i did watch the entire thing the denver nuggets who were up i think i want to say by 20 in the middle of the second quarter that entire first half that they had to start with it was an insane stretch of just the nuggets pushing it down in transition they're getting easy baskets the lakers just kind of bird watching for like the first five minutes of this game just seeing guys pass them and looking at the rim i think denver when you look at it They were, let me see here from the stats right now, over a field goal percentage overall, the team shot at a 54 clip, Um, and I think it was above 60-65 at the end of the first half. I mean, that's the type of efficiency they were playing with today, and a lot of it came from, of course, Jokic, who ended up having himself a good day of a triple-double, 34 points, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists, and from what i seen from Jokic, and again, it really still doesn't surprise me that he's doing these type of things. But Jokic, at his size, and just what you expect out of a guy when you look at him like that, Nikola Jokic himself was taking the ball down the court easily, coast to coast, getting baskets. Even I saw him when he's like, like he just catches the ball on the wing and he takes it inside, like if he's a guard, breaking through everyone, right? And of course, it wasn't just him as well. You also got guys such as, Jamal Murray, who was really big in this game uh, for many reasons, not only just offense. I think I'll go into that later on at the end of this breakdown. Uh, but also Caldwell Pope in that first momentum run. He was making a lot of baskets in transition, got himself right under the rim. He ended up finishing with 21 points. Um, not not too good of a night behind the arc, I'm not going to lie to you. 3 of 8 from Caldwell Pope. You were at least expecting this guy to be close to a 40% to 50% shooter on some nights for Denver. Uh, but besides that the nuggets were rolling that first half they led throughout a majority part of this game actually i don't even think they even gave up the lead however the lead got a little bit shaky uh going down the stretch because the lakers even though yes never had a double digit lead one time i think it was like 20 points but they just felt like it was right there and i think that's the weird thing about a lot of these laker games throughout this postseason that they just feel like they're right there besides that one blow they had uh, in game two of the second round series of the Golden State Warriors winning that in dominant fashion there hasn't been really a game where I've seen the Lakers just absolutely dominated uh, at least in, that's what I feel I think the Lakers no matter where they are they can always make an easy comeback and they almost did of course Anthony Davis and LeBron James are you know keeping this Lakers team afloat Davis and I think one of the interesting thing about this series is that someone actually told me on one of the other platforms to do podcasting for the Anthony Davis-Jokic piece of it, the matchup, right? Honestly, I didn't think that Anthony Davis could hang with the second in voting MVP this year in Jokic. I didn't think that it was going to be that big of a battle, a challenge for Jokic. But Anthony Davis, proving everyone wrong throughout this entire postseason, posted a ridiculous double-double numbers, 40 points, 10 rebounds. And this is a lot of one-on-one with Jokic. And as well, of course, he kind of slides into the basket, getting a couple of assists from guys like, you know, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Schroeder. But the guy shot 60% from the floor. And the crazy thing about it, he didn't even lead the team in shooting percentage, right? Dennis Schroeder, as I mentioned before, he had 66 clip from his shooting night. He only had six points, not a lot of attempts himself. Uh, however, you look at the bench. And Rui Hachimura, who was kind of silent the last two games of the second round, he wakes up. Imperfect timing for Denver. My apologies. Imperfect timing for Los Angeles. Because you got this guy in the second half just going off. He ended up finishing with 17 points himself. 8-11 from the floor shooting. And, and these are shots that are like in crunch time. There was one big three in the left wing. I think in the fourth quarter with about five or so minutes. I might, I might be wrong about the timing there. But there was a huge momentum switch three that he had in the wing. That knocked down easily. And then you got guys such as... Austin Reeves, if <laughs> anyone, just getting this game going. So the Lakers are pushing themselves through. Uh, LeBron James kind of leading the way with 26 points and 12 rebounds and 9 assists. So one shot of a triple-double. Uh, but LeBron James kind of facilitating things. And he was always able to find Reeves open. I remember because I was like watching the game on the phone. And you just... Is, is Mike Breen really calling a bang? Austin Reeves, is Reeves really going to get himself $50 million in the offseason? And from this game, it looked like he might get $50 million or more. He had back-to-back threes in a possession. And the craziest thing about it, the craziest thing about it, he ended up getting such confidence that I saw him taking the ball himself into the paint, dishing it out. Like, Austin Reeves was not scared at the moment at all. Not scared enough to even be considered... Locked down against Jamal Murray, who I think was great defensively throughout this game. Uh, but Austin Reeves, he hit a three, I think with three minutes to close to 320 left in the game. And Denver's only up by three. So it got it got down to this wire real quick. And this was a time where Denver was really just struggling to even get a basket in. Uh, when you look at the overall game, the Nuggets had three straight quarters where they made 34 more points. And in that fourth quarter, you look at tw- only 26 points. And still, you know, not that bad. You know, not that good of a shooting quarter. However, the Lakers, who are trying to steadily climb itself, they kind of peaked in the third. Yeah, 38 in that third quarter. But the 34 they scored in that fourth quarter, those were shots that, like, man, they got good looks. This is a team that moves the ball well on the perimeter, especially on the wings and the elbow. So the Lakers able to get it down to three. However, uh, Denver, they are one of the better defensive teams, I would have to say. And... I'm actually another piece from this series that I'm interested in. How does the depth of the roster for Denver help out defensively? And when I looked at it, you have Bruce Brown on there getting crunch time minutes. He ended up having 16 points in this one and shot above 50% from the floor. But he was great throughout this game, I thought. Bruce Brown from Miami Hurricanes grab the guy himself, he's always been in situations like this. Like, if you look back to 2021, he was with the Brooklyn Nets. In that Game 7, he was a huge piece when they weren't really finding any offense from some guys. And then you also look at just the teams he's been on throughout his entire career, whether that be Brooklyn, Detroit. And then now he finds himself over here in Denver on a title-contending team, which, honestly, I believe has a great chance to make his Western Conference Finals better than the Lakers in this series. But, man... The guy's in crunch time. He doesn't really fade away from anything. And the Lakers, they kind of went cold turkey in that last minute. The Denver defense, they automatically went great defense. Turns into the quick offense type of momentum. And they got a couple of transition baskets. One, a phenomenal lob from Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon slammed down, gave us a nice old my Breen. Throws it down in Denver, which the crowd in Denver is. I mean, they've been pretty good, but this is probably the best crowd in Denver I've seen in this postseason for the playoffs. So it was a phenomenal night overall uh, for the Nuggets. But, I mean as, you mean, as I mentioned before, the momentum itself, if it wasn't for that first quarter where Denver is just going back and forth, just moving the ball around the court, great ball movement overall, this is a really great club coached by Coach Malone. And they get the job done on offense, moving this ball more than they do having one guy dominant like Jokic. But, man, I mean, if it wasn't—that's the only thing I'm thinking about. If it wasn't for that huge first half start, do they really make themselves win this game at the end? Let alone have the chance to win this game at the end if it wasn't for that first half start. Because the time they had with that last three minutes, they were up by 13-15. If you're up 13-15, that probably means that the Lakers, within a span of two minutes, got themselves 12 points. And again, majority Austin Reeves threes, yes. Kind of random, yes. But it would have been enough to put the Lakers ahead. And probably, again, if they weren't up by 20, Lakers probably would try to control a eight-point lead. Being that of three to four possessions of offensive time. I mean, Denver themselves, they just got to be able to watch out for this Lakers team. As I mentioned before, this Lakers team, I never see them getting blown out besides that Game 2 Western Conference semifinals. Um, but that, yeah, besides that, that's the only thing I really have to take away from that Game 1. What I'm expecting now from Game 2, because I've been hearing some things on NBA Twitter where they're saying, well, whoever wins Game 2 is going to win this series. And, you know, Denver's never lost at home. The Lakers, they look phenomenal at home. They just need, the Lakers need to get a win on the road. They like, I don't think, again, I don't think the Lakers are getting a win on the road, let alone two in Los Angeles. I'm expecting Denver and five. The Nuggets, that's how good this team is. Ball movement wise, defensively, their mindset. Oh, almost forgot because I was saying Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, uh, when the uh, Nuggets were up by, I believe, Four points, if not some sort of two-possession game. He poked the ball away from LeBron James in the post when he was trying to do something against Jokic. And Jokic got the steal, kind of iced the game, with throwing to Bruce Brown, and I think took off 10 seconds. Of time I don't know why the Lakers didn't foul in that last 15 seconds. But again, as I mentioned before, Jamal Murray's defense, and of course, the huge part of the night itself, having 31 points. I mean, he was huge. He was phenomenally. Uh, playing basketball throughout this entire game unfazed in my opinion um but but yeah I mean back to what I was saying though for Denver i'm I'm, ex- I'm expecting the nuggets in five like this Lakers team they're a good team and they're very as I mentioned before they're never really out of it but the way that Denver is playing I mean the three quarters what you have just high scoring stakes great ball movement the Lakers even with their size, Down low with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis having a 40-piece game. You're still going to make some answers for Joe Gitch. You're still going to be able to get your bench to get involved. I mean, Lonnie Walker for Los Angeles. Let's just see his numbers. Almost played 20 minutes. He had 19 and 37. Six points in this one. Vanderbilt, zero points through 10 minutes of play. I mean, if you have a three-man rotation in the playoffs, it's not crazy right it's something we've seen throughout this entire postseason let alone years previously but you're really gonna tell me that you can't find some sort of help out there because if Lonnie Walker at least had you know a decent shooting night he went two and six from the floor overall and funny enough two and four from three that would have switched the game if Vanderbilt went on the floor, and I get it, he's more of a defensive presence for Los Angeles right now. And probably in the series, he might be used as that. I'm not expecting him to be on the floor, crunch time, game time. He might be a third quarter, beginning third quarter, mid third quarter guy. But Vanderbilt's got to at least make a basket. At least take a basket. He didn't take a single shot in this game. He was out there just running around. And again, as I mentioned before, defensive presence. But man, got to get involved. So for the Lakers, I'm expecting more out of the next game. They're definitely going to be getting a better game out of D'Angelo Russell, who only had eight points and 4-11 from the floor, 0-3. Oh, and, and they were take, he was taking some bad threes. I'm not going to lie. The po- it was really poor shot selection for D'Angelo Russell. Um, I mean, they had Dennis Truder having a better game than him. His sense of efficiency was on the floor more. He still finished with six points. So D'Angelo Russell could have probably even had 20 if he wanted to tonight. Um, but, you know, again, Murray great defensive team as well we with Caldwell Pope and Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. for Denver that's kind of going to be a it's not going to be a deciding piece but he ended up with 15 points 10 rebounds in this game I mean he's definitely going to be an issue definitely going to be an issue he's been really elevating his game in recent years and probably this postseason these playoffs he's been one of the better t- players for Denver in my opinion of course um, but the Denver Nuggets kind of end off that point winning at 132 to 126 in the final minutes to fend off a lead which they never gave up in the game uh so that's gonna be the breakdown for game one of the western conference finals now we move to a little bit of you know tanker talk a little draft talk a little draft lottery talk so let's just dive right into it um we're gonna i'm gonna go from 14 to 1 here with the worst odds i think they had like a 0.5% chance of getting the first pick. The Pelicans at number 14 in the lottery. Toronto in front of them with 13. And then OKC, they got a bunch of first round draft picks in their future. They start off their future with the 12th pick in the lottery. This was supposed to be Chicago. Uh, However, the Orlando Magic were able to get it from them, I think, in a via trade. The Orlando Magic got 11th. And you got Dallas breaching the 10th. Uh, with the ten spot there. I think that's gonna be a sweet spot in this draft. Utah Jazz at nine. The Washington Wizards, which I was hoping they got top four. That was like it honestly, I thought that was that one team that would randomly get themselves in the top four out of any of the teams. Uh but they ended up making themselves at number eight. Indiana at number seven. Number six Orlando. Orlando Magic to me, besides of course the number one pick uh selection, they kinda won this lottery. They got Two lottery draft picks this season, and they already have a team that's on the rise. I mean, that second half of the year. Uh, they were just phenomenal to watch with Wagner, with Paula Banchero, with guys like Mocha Fultz, who is just still developing, right? So Orlando at number six and their other draft pick at number 11. So they've been climbing the ranks. Detroit, number five, the worst team in the East, tanked all that way just to get a number five pick out of the top four. And again, that's the reason why Adam Silver, you know, maybe we shouldn't be tanking. Maybe we shouldn't be tanking, but they get number five, so still a top five pick. Houston, number four. They had a 14% odds with the Spurs and as well of with Detroit to be a top three pick, let alone the first pick in this draft. Both of those teams, not even in the top three. So Houston, not number four. The Portland Trailblazers number three, so no matter what happens, I mean, David Lillard will get a future superstar. I think there's three guys in this draft that you can feel really confident about, and Portland's going to get at least one of them. Uh, and then number two, the Charlotte Hornets. Probably the worst team, in my opinion, in the NBA. I don't really care about looking at records, but they just got no future. With Lamelo Ball's injury history, and you got Gordon Hayward on a huge contract, Terry Rosier with a huge contract. Mikhail Bridges, that was a weird situation. They just kind of been plagued with Kind of down times in the past three to four years. So Charlotte finally gets himself a break at the second pick and the number one pick winning it the San Antonio Spurs. They win the Victor Wimbenyama lottery. And this is for Greg Popovich, who I, I mean, what is he, like 70? Reaching 80 right now. This is the third time in his coaching career and his course with San Antonio for the last 35 years that they get a number one draft pick. Uh, and it's probably going to be another big their first two david robinson and the other being tim duncan now victor Wembanyama, the seven foot five phenom out of metropolitans 92 in france he is going to be and of course if he's not there's something wrong in the front office of san antonio he will be the first pick at the nba draft going to the san antonio spurs and greg popovich Does Pop retire at any time in his career? I mean, this guy has to play another 20 years uh, to help out Wemby kind of develop. If not, I'm only imagining, you know, again, San Antonio, who knows exactly where they're going to be with Wemby in his career, especially the first few years. I mean, from the ESPN, uh, after the draft lottery concluded, they had an interview with him in France, and he said that he's looking to get a championship right away, kind of start winning right away. Uh, he's gonna have to wait a little bit with San Antonio. Uh, however, the kid's only 19 years old, and from what I've seen from tape about him and kind of the breakdown of him, he can he can do a lot of things. He I mean, shoot a one foot, get himself open from three. He's pretty efficient when he takes himself inside. He has a good floater game as well. Defensively, uh, great shot blocker though. I mean, not like a Chet Holmgren shot blocker where you know he's gonna be just like right in front of guys and even for his skinny size, Chet Holmgren can really step up to guys. Uh, I don't think that Wemby's that physical just yet. I'm really curious how he's going to look like NBA-wise because besides, of course, what he's been able to do in the Pro League in France, when we've seen the G League games that he had against Scoot Henderson, I mean, he dominated in those games. And, you know, the G League's not too far away from the NBA. It's its its own professional league, obviously. So thanks to Wemby Yama. The only questions I would have about him is just about what does he do in the post? I don't really see much of a post-presence from him um, and again at seven foot five you got to do something at least inside the paint uh, but Victor basically besides that I mean he basically knocks down every crook and cranny you can think of um, you know can facilitate the ball can move the ball uh, can definitely have himself and again this is a seven foot five guy so for his handles I mean he dribbles pretty low I'm expecting to get a little bit better in the NBA that's the only question how does it defend against NBA defenders um, but Besides that, this is the best prospect that people are talking about since LeBron James, probably. So this is going to be a ridiculous year for the San Antonio Spurs, who has Sochan. And, you know, that front court is going to be so fun to watch. So fun to watch. Um, But for the San Antonio Spurs themselves, the West, it's not really getting any easier, not getting any more difficult, right? I mean, like, 13th seed all the way down to the 4th seed uh, this season. We're in contention for the playoffs for, like, the last few minutes, So, when you look at the Spurs... I mean, let's just look at overall the standings and their performance. This was a team with 22 wins. Um, They had... Like, they didn't have the worst record. Which, again, makes me kind of shocked that Detroit wasn't locked in for a top 4 pick. They had 22 wins, 22-60. They tied up with the Houston Rockets at the bottom feeders of the Western Conference. And... They just had a terrible record overall. This is the team with one of the worst road records I've ever seen. 8-33 and 33 on the road, 14-27 and 27 San Antonio. And as I mentioned before, I mean, they got guys that you're kind of super excited to watch. I mean, Jeremy Soshan, I'm really excited to see what he does with Wemby down low in the post. And of course, when you looked at this team late, Trey Jones was just on fire. The former Duke guard, in his second year in the NBA with the San Antonio Spurs, averaged only 12 to 13 points per game. But we saw two 20-point performances at Trey. And again, this is a guy that's only his second year. You know, he's going to be developing more, of course, with San Antonio as their main point guard. I think going for the you know foreseeable future. But the guy had two 20-point games in his last five games. Uh, Three of those games. Uh, He shot at least at a 60% or better clip. I mean, the guy's been, you know, he was on a tear at the end of the year. And I only think he's going to continue that uh, next season for San Antonio. So the San Antonio Spurs, they win the Wemby sweepstakes. And Wembenyama, you know, when he's on the Spurs, he's definitely going to affect more of what they do on the wings. I think, of course, Greg Popovich, he's more used to a guy that's going to be dominating as a paint beast it's going to be really interesting what they do with Wemby because every single big draft pick that the Spurs have gotten is gone away and more away from the paint. So Wemby Nyama, he's going to have to, of course, develop himself in the post. Um, but besides that, he is probably the best player you'll be seeing next year. But now let's jump into tonight's game. The Boston Celtics hosting the Miami Heat at 8.30 p.m. in TD Garden for Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And yes, you heard me right. The eighth seed Miami Heat, who had the worst offense in the NBA regular season, have found a way to be a top five offense and honestly dominate through the Eastern Conference on the road to get here. You look at the first round; Jimmy Butler had a fifty-six point game in Game Three, and then you also look at Game Five where he's gaining himself buckets. He had, a, and he's averaging like thirty-five plus, thirty-five plus in points. Scoring throughout this postseason ridiculous numbers and again he wasn't going crazy in the new york series i don't think i think he kind of backtracked himself there was more headlines about the bench kyle lowry gave vincent bam and bio having a few games himself so for if you're a heat fan that's something you're always looking for um but the heat after winning five against the bucks they end up going to new york Getting the win in Madison Square Garden to start off that series in round two. And then it just kind of blows itself up in Miami. Game three and four. Game four was more close, obviously. But game three, the Heat couldn't really lose that game. R.J. Barrett was terrible. I think R.J. Barrett throughout this entire second round series against Miami was just god-awful. He had maybe like two good games. I mean, the game that he had in game six, which the Miami Heat did end up defeating the New York Knicks in six games... Uh, in Miami. Jalen Brunson in the last two games had to play forty plus minutes per game. Let alone game five where the Knicks were able to get a good win out in game five. Probably the best win they were able to get in this postseason, besides of course the first round went through five against the Cavaliers. I mean RJ Barry actually played well, but Jalen Brunson himself he needs to put up 35 plus, 40 points. Jalen Brunson game six had forty one points. RJ Bear barely even showed up. I don't even think he even breached five points in that game. As well with Julius Randle, who kind of struggled throughout this series, of course, going against an aggressive ball club like Miami, who moves the ball well. I mean, this is a team that plays well with each other, which is kind of a scary part because postseason basketball is so much different than regular season basketball. You talk about more intensity. You, you, know, you change the roster from a nine-man rotation to a seven-man to six-man rotation in those some cases. So the Miami Heat, they're bound, and especially Eric Spolster, one of the best, if not the best coach right now in the NBA. And yes, I say over Grepovich, best coach in the NBA. Um, this is a Miami Heat team that's coming in with confidence, and they're very smart with it. You know, they really do feel confident going into the series against the Boston Celtics, who found themselves here not struggling, but every single loss they hadn't. Besides Game 5 of the second round against Philadelphia, it was last-second stuff. Celtics not able to close the door out, or just in general, a guy who has a crazy night. We look at Game My apologies. We look at series number two in the Eastern Conference for the Boston Celtics against the Philadelphia 76ers. Game one, 45 piece for James Harden, tying his career high in playoff scoring. And it was a ridiculous night for Philadelphia. Uh, But they were able to get the win out with a closeout three in the last remaining seconds of that game. And then Celtics take two on one of the road in game three. And, of course, a blowout win in game two. But game four comes in, Harden, another 40-piece. I think he had 41 or whatever in that game. I don't have the stats in front of me, so I do apologize. But another 40-piece from Harden. And then Tyrese Maxey gets starting involved. He had a terrific game five where he had 33 points. And you have Joel Embiid, of course, who missed the first game, but still looked to be involved no matter what happened. He had like 30 back by 30 back by 30 point games until you make it yourself to game seven of this series. And I know I didn't really cover um, kind of a recap of that series. Um, Unfortunately, I was kind of busy during that time the other day. But I had never seen a man save his own legacy in the second round like Jason Tatum has done in the past two years. Jason Tatum, who last year against the Milwaukee Bucks, was not having the best series himself there. And the Celtics were down 3-2 going on the road in game six. And Tatum puts up a 46-piece in Milwaukee that game six. I remember that. And the Celtics blow out the Bucks in game seven in the second half. Deja vu moment. Jason Tatum, in game six, when the Celtics needed him the most, where he was only having like three points or three quarters, he ends up finishing the game with a ridiculous shooting night in the last four minutes. I think he had like 12 points, a bunch of threes, a couple of stuff where he even does a quick step back between a leg step back against Joel Embiid, the ice, the game, in game six in Philadelphia. Um, and then you go to this game seven, and I mean, the Celtics themselves. This is a tested ball club, right? Jason Tame has never lost a game seven. Jalen Brown, uh, well, actually, let me rephrase that. Hasn't lost a game seven in the past four years. They did lose that one where Jason Tame was a rookie going against the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals game seven. Uh, you know, same goes as well with Jalen Brown, those other guys, and... Al Horford, I think, has only lost two Game 7s ever. Um, I think they're all with Atlanta. Actually, funny enough, I think one of them actually was a loss to the Celtics. Uh, But either way, this is a tested ball club with highly, highly experienced players in these type of situations. And the Philadelphia 76ers, give them credit, it was almost a P.J. Tucker game. They're getting great looks from the corner like they have all series long. And if you ask me if P.J. Tucker was at least a 30, if not a 50% shooter from three, I mean, this series probably would have been going to Philadelphia. But P.J. Tucker went cold in the third quarter. And then you look at James Harden. James Harden, I think he was scared throughout that entire game seven. Absolutely terrified of the ball in the situation. He Only finished with nine points. It was probably the worst game I've ever seen of James Harden. Not in this series, but I think just James Harden in the postseason. This was a terrible, terrible playoff game for James Harden, who barely was anywhere. Uh, and then Joel Embiid as well. Uh, Joel Embiid, who was going against Al Horford, and funny enough, Al Horford, he always has these tough matchups against these MVP guys. He's always been able to answer for them. Al Horford, when you look at this series, I think he only held Joel you know, a number of times because I know they're doing some rotation with Robert Williams, and for some reason in Game 5, they're doing a lot of things with Grant Williams on uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, however, Joel Embiid, at the end of Game 7, uh, he ended up ending with 15 points Shooting below 30% from the field. It was a terrible game for the MVP this season. And really, you know, a tough break for Philadelphia. Who ended up getting bounced out by a Jason Tatum 51 piece. And the Celtic defense who was riding off a TD's Garden crowd. And Tatum could have missed a single shot though. This man was yelling what? I mean, I couldn't give him an answer because I didn't know what he was doing. Look at Tatum's night. As I mentioned before, 51 points. 13 rebounds in that game. Shooting... 60% 60% from the floor, and 60% from three. He went 6-10 from behind the arc. That is a legacy-defining game. That is a Hall of Fame game and an iconic Game 7 in Boston. Uh, so now you look at this series with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Uh, again, it's the weirdest thing. I think this might, and I know there's some competition with it, but it just might be the best rivalry we've been seeing since the golden state warriors and the cleveland cavaliers were lebron james in like the early teens is that what you want to call that era like the teens because like the one either way uh so to me this is at least the second best rivalry making its head rear around for some reason once again for the third time in the last four years starting off with lebron james and paul pierce aka the truth and yes it's a cool nickname um In the teens era. Um, And then you go on to have now this new cast of guys of Jason Tatum against Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo against Al Horford. And as well, Robert Williams is now in the mix. Jalen Brown, uh, who has also been with Tatum throughout his entire career, will once again get a matchup against most likely Tyler Hero, who suffered a hand injury uh, in the first round of this year's playoffs against the Milwaukee Bucks. He might be coming back... um, which is an insane thing to think about because when he's given the you know the notice that, hey, he's got six weeks so they can be back on the court, um, I wasn't expecting it for them to be the Miami Heat all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I wasn't even thinking about that. Uh, I wasn't even paying attention to that side of the playoff board. But look at them now. Tally Hero has a great chance. I don't think he'll be coming back today. Um, I don't think there have been an injury report with him on it saying that he's questionable, doubtful, whatnot. But... What I would say, if the Miami Heat need him, they just might get them. Um, and I'm looking at a time period of Game 4, Game 5, Game 6. If the series does go that far, uh, because, of course, this will be a two-week series. This thing will be done by the end of May. So the Miami Heat could get Tyler Hero, which has always uh, fared well against Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown in the last series had Tyler Hero's number. But if you remember the bubble in 2020, I don't care if you think if it's a real championship and not a real championship— Tyler Hero in the Eastern Conference Finals, as well as the NBA Finals, had a pretty good two series there. Was a huge part for the Miami Heat on offense. And as well, last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, when these two teams met, I mean, Tyler Hero coming off the bench was a huge reason why the Miami Heat were able to get offense and push themselves to win a couple of games. Um, but again, you never know what's going to happen with Tyler Hero. He could be coming back, could not be coming back. Either way, the Miami Heat group has been able to get the job done with Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, who kind of rejuvenized his kind of NBA career in this postseason. Because when you look out throughout the entire season, in the regular season for the Miami Heat, who are struggling in offense all the time, Kyle Lowry, who got, I think, picked up because the Miami Heat wanted some sort of consistency in their offense, they didn't really get that at all from Kyle Lowry in the recent years. And now you look at his playoffs, man, he's been pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. He's been pretty good throughout the entire postseason. Uh, so, it's going to be a weird matchup for the Miami Heat, who's been kind of being based on, you know, quick offense. Their defense has been solidified by Bam bio inside. And, of course, Kevin Love, who has just been a terrific veteran for them. And, again, I understand they have has them in his last year of the NBA right now. But, Kevin Love is kind of the vet that they needed. A guy that's on the court can calm down the situation if it does get a little bit dicey. And, of course, the outlet passes. I love the outlet pass, Kevin Love. He just has. Crazy court vision, uh, but against the Boston Celtics, how they were fair. Talking about six men of the year, Malcolm Brogdon on that team. You're talking about Derek White, who was kind of quiet in the second round series. I think he kind of disappeared after Game Two in the first round series against Atlanta for the Boston Celtics. But Derek White, a first—no, my apologies—a second team All NBA defense. They have great depth. And you also look at guys like Grant Williams, Al Horford, who's been coming. Um, back and forth with Robert Williams. So one of those guys could be potentially going off the bench. Um, I'm not too positive about that, actually, because Joe Mazzula in Game 6 and 7, which kind of switched the series in Round 2, I'm having both of those guys uh, starting, which, in my opinion, is probably the best roster they got defensively. Um, So how good of a chance do the Miami Heat really got in this one? According to ESPN, a 3% chance. I don't think that's real. They want to go all by statistics, all that stuff. If you look at the game and the matchups... You just can't really add in the factor of Jimmy Butler. You can't add in the factor of the Celtics shooting night-to-night, sometimes poorly, sometimes they're kind of like seesawing effects. You can't really put that into perspective. But what I would say, Jimmy Butler against Jason Tatum, I don't think Jimmy Butler defensively can lock down Jason Tatum at this moment. Uh, However, of course, he could match up with Jason Tatum. The biggest thing about this series is what's Jalen Brown going to do? With marcus smart marcus smart who has gotten himself 20 point games throughout this entire series has stepped up in crunch time again three-time hustle nba hustle award winner marcus smart has been able to get himself involved in any way that he can even if he's struggling so tyler hero he might come back jason tatum i'm not too positive he's gonna get locked down by jimmy butler but this first game will tell a lot about this future series for the next two weeks and all of that starts today at 8 30 p.m On TNT, the Miami Heat against the Boston Celtics. If you're looking for an injury report as well, I'm going to give you an early injury report. The Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo injuries uh, were kind of enough to end the season. Of course, Tyler Hero, who is listed as out, as mentioned before, nothing of doubt for questionable. He could potentially return back from the series with a broken hand, uh, healing pretty well. And Cody Zeller, he's a game-time decision right now. Cody Zeller has kind of found himself being really effective for the Miami Heat. In pick-and-roll situations, and i up having 6.5 points throughout the regular season, but he's definitely been dominating. I think he's had a couple of double-digit games throughout this postseason. And the only person that's out, and again, crazy thing about it, the Celtics are actually healthy around this time of year. But the craziest thing, Gallinari could be back. He's had some you know, activity in practice. He's been able to get some shots up. I don't think he's been doing anything for scrimmage-wise, 5-on-5. Five five. But could Gallinari come back in this series? I doubt it, in my honest opinion. I've been seeing you know, the good stuff about him, but he's in these Italian suits on the sideline, looking sharp as ever. Um, and probably a guy that you would rather see next year instead of playing immediately in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, as I mentioned before, 8.30 p.m. on TNT tonight, being that of May the 17th. Miami against Boston, the trilogy in the last four years, and one of the best rivalries in the 21st century. Thank you again for listening on to Courtside. Um, My voice is a little bit, because it's like, what, like almost five, six o'clock right now. So I woke up really early for this one to get this into the books. I need to get back on my podcasting mojo. Um, But thank you for joining on to Courtside, and I'll see you guys on the next episode.